0: Welcome, everyone, to the C-Suite Marketing Perspectives podcast for B2B companies. And today, we, we have, when I say unique conversation, this is a conversation that I have not read, I have not seen, I have not had before. This is a conversation with the CRO and the CMO of a B2B company. And how do we solve this problem that's been an age-old problem between marketing and sales on alignment? and how you partner together and you know uh, Sean and Tristan I'm going to let you introduce yourselves and a little bit about your career but one thing I will say is that Sean I had the pleasure of meeting when he was anointed CRO of the year a couple of months ago so that gives you some extra credit credibility we get some points to get added on to the to the credibility stage here for you Sean I'll let you maybe kick it off in terms of just give us a little bit more of an introduction, maybe even the full name, and, and what you're, you've are you done throughout your career and what you're doing right now before we get into the subject matter that is at the heart of how do we solve this alignment or misalignment between marketing
1: and sales? Okay. Well, thanks for that, Steve. That's right. We were both at the Sales 3.0 conference and ended up sitting together at dinner that evening. And I, I really enjoyed that conversation because it was about the relationships between uh, CROs and CMOs. The speaker, oh, gosh, his name escapes me now. Steve, you might, it might come to you. There was there was a, a wonderful speaker who uh, did a fireside chat about the relationship between CROs and CMOs.
2: And well, Warren
1: pers- Zeppin.
2: Thank you, warm, that's right.
1: Warm yeah. And his perspective was, you know, there can, there can be only one and the CRO is ultimately responsible for that. And if you've got a CRO and a CMO, you're going to have some, uh, some conflict. And then that turned into our conversation, why we're here today. So that set up for the audience there. Um, a little bit about, uh, wildfire first wildfire is a white label loyalty platform that rewards. Consumers with cashback and coupons when they shop online. Uh, people are often familiar with uh, Capital One Shopping or Honey, Bracket, that sort of thing. Uh, we do that on a white label basis for everyone who isn't those uh, three companies. So as their CRO, my job is to fill the pipeline with those white label uh, partners. We refer to them as, as partners. We'll get into that in, in a bit. Uh, and we have a classic b 2 b to c model. Uh, which is we've got a platform. You never see the wildfire brand. We bring it to our partners. It could be a, a bank, uh, FI, other types of companies, that sort of thing. And they give to their customers well make money. My background has been that of a serial entrepreneur. I've started some companies. Some have done well. Some have uh, Tristan and I have worked together previously, started a company together previously. In fact, it's a quirk of this company's entire management team. That everybody on the team has worked together in some combination in previous companies before going back like 24 years. So uh, I'm going to introduce Tristan uh, Barnum now, who is our CMO, and she can do the rest.
2: Hi, thanks. (laughs) Um, As Sean mentioned, we've known each other a very long time. Um, I started my career at a company called mp3.com, and out of MP3, uh, we're forged many friendships that have come back to uh, allow us to build what I think is the dream team that we have today. Um, and at Wildfire, I, yes, am our CMO. And so uh, I am responsible for not only the marketing of the Wildfire brand and, and getting new partners into our, our programs and our pipeline, um, but also helping those partners once they do sign. So Sean goes and closes deals. It is also com- coming back to me sort of on the back end because client success rolls through me. And a big part of that is our client marketing and helping them with strategy. So once they're working with Wildfire on a white label basis, um, it is also my job to make sure that they are successful with it. And that is critically important because our company operates primarily on a revenue share model. So when they are successful, we are successful. And so you can tell we have to have quite a a lot of alignment on how we market the business, how we sell, what we have, and then how we make clients successful. And then additionally, um, through some quirk of also being a serial entrepreneur and um, having a lot of hats in my hat bag, uh, I also run operations for us. So keeping the uh, trains running on time and insights for our business that are actionable, sort of all of that stuff feeds back into marketing. Um, as well as our uh, deals and everything else, so that is me
0: in a nutshell. You know, in, in our past conversations, I didn't put together that you were wearing three hats: marketing, customer success, and operations. I'm yeah. I'm tired just 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 thinking <laughs> about that. But what I want to do is I want to start off because there's four or five key areas. Um, you guys just touched on one: is that you trust each other. You've worked together before, so there, there's a level of commitment to each other and working together that you have that can be fostered, right? That the it's not the only way to to work successfully is to work with somebody you've worked with before, right? We we've all had relationships that can be reciprocal and and work very well together. But there's one area that I want to talk about because this is where. The conflict between marketing and sales typically happens where typically the CRO runs sales and sales has short-term quotas. So compensation drives short-term mentality where typically on the marketing side, yes, absolutely, we need to be very revenue-minded. We need to be focused on the short-term pipeline, penetration all the way through and to your point, the outcomes, you know, on the other side. But we have to have a longer-term focus. We have to build the brand and the expertise. The company's a trusted advisor, somebody that should be listened to, all of those good things that come from, like, thought leadership and all of that. You have figured this out, but I want to turn it over, and whoever wants to start it off, I would love to have you, but I think one of the keys, and there's many we'll get into here, one of the keys is the compensation structure that is put together and in place inside your company. Who wants to take a crack at explaining that? Let me start one step before that. Um, Okay.
1: So Tristan predates me at this company by about a year. And when that small team was sitting around the table saying, hey, it's about time we need a BD guy. You know, who's who's the best BD guy in San Diego? We know that guy wasn't available, so they called me when I got the job. But the first thing the first thing that Tristan and I did was sit down and create the pipeline structure together. So this is like setting up your CRM, what those phase gates are going to be. And what we quickly realized was that where the sales process starts, you know. Prospecting, go open a deal, put them in the top of the funnel. As, As that partner is moving through that pipeline, it very quickly overlaps with the client success function. Because remember, our model is to partner with these companies and make them successful over the long term. And so when a deal is closed, we don't walk away. That's really just getting to the starting line. And then client success takes over to make that partner more successful. This is why we put client success under our CMO, because the best way to help those partners be successful is to help them with marketing. And so to your question now about incentives, none of the salespeople or the client success reps have a commission-based incentive plan. In other words, what we're trying to say is we don't want to incentivize closing a volume of deals. We want to focus on closing the right deals, the ones that are going to be the most successful because of shared risk, shared reward. So those incentives for us as individuals are very long term based as opposed to being short-term base. I'll let Tristan talk about how she incentivizes the client success team and how marketing impacts
2: that. Yeah. So (laughs) the client success team, um, you know, Sean mentioned there's no formal structure for commissions and things like that, but we do offer bonuses for very specific when the client success team is uh, tasked with continuing those relationships. So if marketing brings a deal sort of into the top of the funnel we have to have set that expectation correctly for for that recipient right we've got we've got a visitor coming in and we want them there for the right reasons um because if they make their way into like all right now we're trying to make a deal work and it you know they were i don't want to say misled but they they misunderstand or there's a misalignment of what we offer and what what it is they're looking for we don't want to cram those two things together um because what happens once they get into the BD process yes there are checks in there to make sure again we're not selling to to people that are going to be not thrilled with what we have and not successful with what we have and everyone is thrilled with money so we want to make sure that what we're doing is helping our partners make money um But then at the tail end of that, when they finally go live with our product, that client success team is incentivized to continue to look for opportunities where they can be even more successful. So you might start off with a white label Chrome extension going live. And by the way, client success is watching your numbers grow for your mobile application. And by the way, we have a solution for that, get that integrated so that we can double the revenue coming through this. And so when, when those types of deals um, continue to close within our current partners, those are the types of things that, that my team is intrinsically motivated to like. just want. We have very tenacious and curious, intellectually curious people that want to solve these things as a puzzle, but also they are, they are um, compensated for some of that as well.
0: So what you have done is you have formalized what every B2B organization should be doing. If the B2B company is focused on client outcomes, it is absolutely the best way for the growth of the company. The success of your customers is equivalent to your success, right? So having customer success under marketing, having that focus, having compensation in that direction, is literally an insight that everybody that's listening to this podcast should be thinking about and should be writing down right now.
2: And even the even the names, the names of sorry to interrupt you, Steve, that the names of even our our deal uh milestones that we have are all client focused. They're all partner focused. These are just the language that we use in these things. And you talked about sort of sitting down and formalizing this. It didn't feel very formal when it was happening. You know, Sean rolled over one afternoon at four o'clock. We cracked open a bottle of wine, pulled up two monitors, some great big papers, started writing stuff down and, and building what we knew should be a business development process, a sales process that would turn into successful deals on the back end. That informed the marketing. How do I get people into this pipeline? Um, and all of it was just developed with the partner in mind, and that has permeated the entire organization from from marketing all the way through, through honestly, the product itself.
1: Mm-hmm. Specifically, the if you want to double click on what that process entails, we realized early on that we're selling to very large organizations. That aren't really in the business of buying stuff, right? They might have systems of processes set up to buy a whole bunch of monitors, you know, seed licenses of Microsoft products, that kind of thing. But they're not really set up to buy stuff. And so Tristan and I wanted to come to our process with a defined framework to buy our stuff. And and there are very specific steps that we take with them, all designed to give our partners. All of the inputs they need for their business case that they need to develop internally that they then run up the flagpole and get approvals for and share their matrix to it and that sort of thing. So things like, you know, the the LV, uh, financial inputs, you know, what are the, the costs? What's the unit economics? What are what's the opportunity overall? Uh, what's the marketing lift going to be? What's required uh, from a, as a commitment to marketing, for instance, to make this Successful, like all of those inputs uh, from, from product, from CS, from marketing, from engineering, everyone is involved. I, you hear it often, you know, everyone sells. In our case, that, that is true. Uh, and what we end up with is a very efficient process that gives our customers what they need to the extent that, and we, we talked about this in a previous conversation, to the extent that if we get through that process, and there's a misfit at all. If it doesn't look like it's, it's going to, to work, we feel that it is our job as a trusted advisor to that potential partner to walk away from the deal and find them a better solution if there is one. And we have done that.
0: That is amazing. Uh, I definitely was going to round us around to that point, so I'm glad you brought us here. There's a rare company that actually has the kind of the gumption to actually do that and say, we're not right for you. Right, we're going to leave some revenue on the table because it's not the right cultural fit, and that's one of the things that just impressed me so much is you have a culture here from right down from calling clients partners that puts a different mindset right on who they are. And John, one thing that you just said there, I I want you to maybe translate for others that are watching right now when you talk about. How you are going to help your customers purchase product, right? How you're basically going to help them work with you. How does that translate to any other SaaS or B2B company out here, right? Because that's helping the client do what you want them to do makes them more successful. Which that should, right? It helps us be more successful. This is something that we all should be doing. What's the thinking behind that that is learning for everybody that's watching here today? Okay.
1: I think anybody who is
0: watching or listening
1: has run into, excuse me, they've run into a deal that has gotten stalled at some point. And usually what happens when a deal is stalled is that their contact, the the person at the company that that has the will, they want to, to buy your product. They don't know what the next step is, right? They're operating in a, a p- perhaps a large, certainly a matrix organization. There are multiple stakeholders who have to uh, chime in, provide uh, approvals, et cetera, et cetera, and they may not know if someone says, "Oh, yeah, it's in purchasing." It's not in purchasing, right? They're they're just trying to buy time to figure out what's happening by bringing a by recognizing that they don't have a set process for doing this. They don't have an incentive to move through the funnel necessarily, through your funnel, and they don't even know what your funnel is. If you are just transparent about it and say up front, here's what we're going to do. We have this defined process that's going to walk you step by step. You give me three one-hour sessions with the right people. I'll give you all of the inputs you need to make a a clear decision. And and now I'm, I'm acting as your partner. I'm on your side of the table with you to help you do this. That is that is the most effective thing that a a CRO anyone anyone in sales leadership position right now that has run into uh, uh, stalled deals could do differently. Just bring a process, and they will absolutely appreciate for it.
0: Kristen, what do you have to add to that? Because that's amazing. I have like three follow-up questions, but I want to get your point of view on it.
2: Yeah, my <laughs> my point of view is making sure that. Um, I am, I am there to understand what's stalling those deals and supplying anything, any input um, that can help prevent the stall in the first place from a marketing perspective. Um, maybe it's a little shift in the marketing that we do to a certain segment and to make sure we use certain language that is not normal for us, but is totally normal for them and unlocks them past something um so constantly being listening to avoid the stalls but then also understand what inputs that Sean's team may need um beautiful slides beautiful uh case studies whatever it is that's going to help get them through um we are there to support all of that because if we can get the right deals through then we get to take them on the back end and and make them super successful so it's really, it's a supporting role, but it comes from an understanding of what's happening in the first place. And so I am frequently involved in a lot of those discussions about stalled deals. I sit in on those BD meetings that happen every week to talk about deals that are in the pipeline and what might be happening with them. And I've got my my ears perked up at all times for ways to help um, get deals through.
0: That's not happening in every organization. I'll tell you that right now. But so here's the... Here's my simple, simple takeaway from this. We didn't actually even wrote a meme about this between marketing and sales. And it was the CMO saying, I got a great relationship with my CRO. You know how many MQLs I throw over the wall? What, what you or just your two are describing here is typically in the sales uh, department, there is an end goal, the sale, right? And then the sale is thrown over the wall to customer success, right? Distinct silos that are all in the same organization. And what I'm hearing is, Sean, you're saying, no, there's an actual plan. There's a set of expectations that sales has that where the the close of the deal is the start. And it's treated that way. And I'm hearing you, Tristan, say that we're actually trying to help, if there is a plan that is a process like that, we're trying to help set the right expectations and we're listening and we're trying to support that so that there isn't this kind of disconnect at the end that we don't know what's going on. Right? So that is absolutely brilliant. That is all three departments working together. Now, customer success is under you. So this is, this is the two of you, right? Coming together. This is not something that can't be done in any organization, maybe with or without a bottle of wine. I don't know, but You know, tell me a little bit. I, I want to just kind of go back and, you know, Sean, something right before we hit the record button, you know, you were basically alluding to the fact there's never been a salesperson alive that wants a quota, that wants to be commissioned, you know, compensated based on commission, right? That's right. So tell me about how you train and you mentor your sales team to have a longer term focus? Cause I imagine they're coming from different organizations where they've had quotas, there's a mentality, there's a mindset, right? That has to be dramatically changed. Um, but you tell me, like, how does that process work?
1: We, we make a pretty hard distinction between sales and business development. The former being, I think, more akin to what you described before, where I have a product, that I'm going to sell, and once the sale is done, I walk away and someone else deals with, you know, servicing that client in whatever capacity. Business development to us is about establishing a long-term relationship, and the way that we structure the team is not just a salesperson closing a deal and then handing off the CS. In fact, we overlap those functions such that when we do get to the starting line with a partner we stack an entire team against that deal that includes the person. You don't walk away, you're still part of the deal. You're, you are the, the relationship manager responsible ultimately for the business side of, of that uh, relationship. There's a dedicated CS person or people uh, who have ultimate tactical control over the relationship product. Engineering, marketing—something we haven't touched on yet—but now is a good time, as as good a time as any. Is that under Tristan, there is also a partner marketing group that does nothing but help apply best practices and other learnings to each of our partners from the you know many dozens of, of other partners we have to make them more successful. So rather than than having a serial relationship between our departments. We have a much more cohesive, overlapped relationship, and we work as a team to make our partners as successful as they possibly can be. To your point about commissions, what that means is that for the BD the people that work directly with me on my team, we are, we are incentivizing them in the long term. I guess that's the best way to put it. There is no monthly or quarterly quota, even annually. We don't think of our our deal cycles in terms of quotas. We don't want uh, a certain number of deals. Yes, Tristan and I, along with our CEO, Jordan, are looking at revenue, right, as a a goal. That's completely rational. Uh, But the way that we get there is much more of a, I guess in sales terms, it's much more of a slow dime than a quick nickel, right? And so the, the comp plans for everyone involved in generating revenue looks more like long-term incentives, stock options. Uh, yes, there are bonuses. Those bonuses are largely uh, subjective. And, and one of the subjective criteria is, as Tristan mentioned, the quality of the deal, not necessarily the quantity of the deals that you closed. So this
0: is a question for both of you. How does this system impact employee morale, employee productivity, right? Working under a system where, because we've all heard it, right? You know, living with a quota over your head, you know, is is a constant threat, (laughs) right? Nobody enjoys that. So if you change the dynamic of how you're compensated, do
2: you have happier teams? It's not even just about the compensation, I think. I think that our team and I think they would be totally fine with me speaking for them. And um, the whole team, the company itself, we have incredible morale. We have a wonderful culture. We root for each other. We we celebrate each other's successes. We have so much invested in keeping this culture as lovely as it is. Like it. It's one of these things that when we interview new people that we're bringing onto the company, and we have been growing a lot lately, um, they do a lot of asking around because that sounds a little too good to be true. And um, there are just fans inside the company, and and I love it so much. And I think that every little decision we make, whether it's the compensation structure or the transparency between. executive team and the rest of the company there are all kinds of things that we do that create this culture in fact Sean wrote a great article about about our culture recently that sort of was a highlight reel of like how we made the culture we did um, because it was deliberate and it was nice to see it enumerated but what you see is alignment between not just the CRO and the CMO, but truly within the entire organization, head of product, the CEO. Um, we, ha- we have um, the head of engineering. All of all of these people come together and see the company through their own lenses, but have the same picture. And it's, it's always surprising and delightful to me to see. When we do come together as a group every six weeks or so, we get together in person and we give our reports about sort of what's working, what's not working and what's next. And we're all always seeing the same thing from a different perspective. And that is what is keeping the culture, the, the mood and the morale, I think uh, good. It is because of that alignment. It is critically important for us.
1: So culture is something that company wants, but it can be elusive. Let me give you some brass tacks on that to put just a framework for the audience here. We have a culture of freedom and responsibility. Not every company has that, but we tell our our entire team on a periodic basis, remember that you have the freedom to do whatever it is that you want within the constraints of what we're trying to accomplish here, right? Successful clients, a growing business, like all that is true. But that can be difficult for people who come from a an oppressive organization. It's hard sometimes for them to spread their wings, but we encourage them to do so. The other side of that coin is with great freedom comes great responsibility. You have the responsibility to to act in a way that's going to move the entire team forward and we we encapsulate this in i'm I'm now envisioning this slide deck that we use to communicate this, but there's one uh, page in there where it says, good decision, good, bad decision, good, no decision, bad, right? And so what we're telling our team is that it's, this is a safe environment here. We expect everyone to fail periodically. How else are you going to learn, right? We, We learn more from our failures than our successes in a culture that is oppressive you're not going to see that you're going to see people uh living in fear for you know making a mistake or something like that we embrace those things we learn from them, and we move on and those are the underpinnings of the culture that tristan's describing that any company can put in place that is an easy thing to it's an easy thing to do to trust adults to do their job a completely reasonable thing to do but i think as as companies grow uh it gets harder for them to do that for various reasons, but we do not have such
0: a problem. You know what this all means to me? Anybody's worked in a startup environment and I'm, I'm a SaaS founder myself and, and you know, we have to go through the rounds of, of raising funds and everything. And what you're, you're trained is that one of the most important aspects of getting investment is the team. You're going to have the best tech roadmap, right? You can have, you know, the best plan, you know, here's how we're going to dominate our TAM, all of that. But the investors want to invest in team. And what I'm taking away here is that not only have you kind of put together a team that has worked together, but you've put together a culture that fosters a team, like a true team that supports each other. And put in light of that perspective, of investors will put their dollars, right, their investment. In in in, in trying to get multiples in return into a team, why don't we spend more time strategically thinking about what you've done here, right, and how you build a team that's going to create success? Um, You're right.
1: Um, It having a great team de-risks an investment significantly because, to some degree, it ensures the success of the company. I think that. Most people are hired into a job, they're not hired onto a team, right? And when you discuss the, the bifurcation and sometimes uh, contentious relationship between people with the letter C in their titles, you know, CMO, CO, CRO, that sort of thing, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that they think that they have to stay in their lane. It may not even occur to them that they could, as Tristan says, come over to my house, we'll we'll crack a bottle of wine, we'll sit down, we'll just collaborate on this. It may not even occur to them that that, that that's even within the job description, but it's absolutely what you can do. And if a a couple, three people, you know, at or near the top of any organization, I don't just mean people with C's in their title, but if you're an EVP, an SVP, or if you're just a group leader and you've got 10 people on your team, you can do this inside of your org at any level. We just encourage it at, at all levels. We happen to do it. It's really not that difficult to figure out. It's just a philosophical uh, uh, a shift in, in mindset, really. That's all it is.
0: So there was, and I forget which previous discussions was in, but you have a reward system, Sean, that you you give something out. I can't remember when you give it or what it was, but I was really impressed with whatever it was. Right. I know you know what I'm talking about. You,
1: so you, yeah,
0: sure. uh, Tristan was
1: uh, alluding before, like all of the ingredients that go into our culture. Uh, one of that is we have the ability and, and budget to buy each other gifts. So if if and could be for no reason, you just like someone who who works on your team. They they they're doing great work. Great! They've had a, a rough day. I remember I drizzled a, a guy a, a six pack of something. I forget what it, was, oh. uh, it was a while ago because um, he was having a rough time. He appreciated that. But anyone who is not directly on the beating team helps us close a deal. Gets a. Oh. I actually had one here. Gets a. Where to go? Everybody. Yep. There, one of these uh, uh, handmade copper flasks from uh, Jacob Bromwell. It's it's not a cheap gift, but it's it's well appreciated when it, when it happens. So again, but you know, having a culture that that encourages people to to break down the the barriers that I think are put up when you're conducting so much of your life over Zoom and humanize them by addressing them in you know 3D and and a gift shows up on your doorstep that. That buys a lot of goodwill. yeah.
2: And it often shows like how much we've gotten to know each other, right? This might be someone you'd never worked with on a project before you went through the trenches together on something over the weekend and everyone's exhausted and you got to know each other. And like when a candle shows up at that person's house, that's the the smell of their favorite hotel at Disney World that they love that you've got to, to know that about them. They're delighted and it's, it's wonderful. Everyone feels good about it. I, I don't want this to sound like it's some artificial tactic either. It's like, I wish I could get all of these people that do so much good in my life gifts all the time. And the company believes that that's worthwhile enough to, to fund. And I love that.
0: You know, I'll have to tell you this and maybe this isn't something I should actually say publicly, but I was about a week ago, my wife had had a really hard day the day before and I got up a Saturday morning. I got up at like six in the morning. She was still in bed. I went and I got her pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks, right? I came back. It's just a Starbucks. That's all it was, right? And she started crying. She said, yeah. "Nope, nobody does things for me, yeah. right? But it's the gesture, right? It's that You put that time and effort into, and you actually thought about somebody, and it was the gesture more than the, the flask or the, right? The plastic's nice, right? Look but, or the, yeah. But it's the gesture and it's the thinking behind yeah. it. Yeah. 100%. So I'm going to give you each a chance to do one of two things. I'm going to let you choose whatever it is you want, okay? Choice A is if there was one takeaway that people should have from this conversation, what should it be? Choice two, what is it that we haven't covered that is... Part of the the important ingredient in the success recipe that you've created. Hey. And whoever has the idea to go first, jump on in. A little healthy competition here.
2: I I have a thought. I I All totally right? have a thought. So, um, as far as takeaways are concerned, um, I think that something that is critically important is this respect that you can develop for other people and their jobs and what it is they're trying to do. And if we're talking about tension between like a CRO and a and a CMO, understanding what Sean does and why it matters and what his challenges are involves actually getting to know what those jobs are. Like you can't, you can't get that in an email. You have to like get in the trenches a little bit. And so I think the takeaway is don't be afraid to like not stay in your lane. We should all be on the same freeway, headed in the same direction and changing lanes all the time to get to where we need to go. So I think that that is what develops that respect and helps us understand each other and what how we both contribute to the success of the company or the failure of the company if we mess up, right? Like these are the types of things that keep us moving in the right direction.
1: I love, I love that. Yeah, I would be a little more prescriptive to anyone listening who may be uh, recognizing that they're in a silo organization, in a in a leadership position. You can change that tomorrow, right? it It takes very little effort to say, "Hey, I feel like we could be doing better." Maybe everything's going fine, but I feel like we could be doing better if we started to collaborate and overlap uh, our roles in ways that were meaningful to everyone. Uh, And you can come with a framework. A piece of paper and a pen is is enough to say, I do this, you do that. Here's the Venn diagram overlap. You know, how can we make that, uh, uh, not necessarily a perfect circle, but how can we make that overlap more valuable in the center, going in both directions? That's what Tristan was saying. Now, if I understand and have empathy for for what you do and how what I'm doing could make you more successful, then I absolutely want to do that because that helps the team. And that is that is probably the, the number one lesson that we try to teach our entire company is that there are no individual winners at our team. We're not competing individually for glory on any given uh partner or or product or whatever the case may be, we are trying to all win as a team together and do that is by helping each other. And that's what we've done. And like I said, not hard to do. Just got to be thoughtful about how
0: you don't So I'm going gonna, gonna to break my promise to only ask one more question because I, I want people to understand from your point of view, the importance of the culture process the way that you've put together this team, that it can be done, this can be replicated. If another team had your same technology, your same product, the same opportunity to go to the market, right? So a certain amount of the success of the company is obviously going to be be rooted in, in, in your technology. How much of the success of the company that you're having, you're growing quite dramatically, or how would you just articulate everything that we've talked about here today, which none of it was about the technology, right? How much of that secret sauce we talked about today is responsible for the success of the company versus the actual technology and a whole nother team was brought in to, to take it forward, the traditional kind of method. Well, look, we we have definitely hit product market fit,
1: right? So for any company that is before that step, it's a little bit hard to give advice for how to get to product market fit. But if you're a company that has proven to the market that there's a need there and you're starting to go into growth mode, I would say that that's probably going to take care of itself. Like that's a product function. Get a great product guy like we've got, you're going to do fine. To answer your question, therefore, what, what ends up driving the success is everything else. And that is what we do. And again, I'm more of a brass tacks kind of guy. What we didn't mention yet is the way that we enforce all of this is very comfortable and casual. We have a daily stand-up by uh, business unit. So there's, you know, the tech guys get together, the product people get together, the, uh, the CS team, BD team, like we all have a daily stand-up where everyone knows what everyone is doing that day, then it's 10 minutes. And there's time to uh, say, "Oh, wait, you're doing that. I thought we were doing that." Okay, fine, well, that's good. okay, good to know. Let's just take this offline. We can go, you know figure out where. From uh, uh, management team perspective, the the few of us get together, same thing. right after all those standups, we get together. We, we reinforce what we're working on, what our priorities are. We set these things on a on a very, very granular basis. And that does a few things. not only does it keep everyone apprised of what everyone else is doing in the most efficient way possible, but it also takes any shadows away from the corners. There's really nowhere to hide. You're sitting there in front of you know your sixty other or 25 other you know colleagues saying, "Here's what I'm doing today. you're going to do that because other people are relying <laughs> on you, and it it reinforces the fact that we're all in this together, working as a team. We furthermore um, get together like Tristan mentioned on a periodic basis. Every two weeks, we have a demo day. Our tech team works in sprint, two week sprints. And so every uh, other Friday, we have a display of all of the new things that have been worked on during that sprint. The whole company uh, goes to that and understands what's going on. On alternating Fridays, we do effectively the same thing from a business point of view. So everybody understands what's happening on the business side, how the pipeline looks, what interesting things are coming down the the pike etc etc and that may seem like over communication but like i said it's actually quite casual to us we wouldn't have it any other way it's not overhead it's it's not onerous at all it just helps us preserve the culture that of communication that we have and keeps everyone apprised of keeping of what the goal is right and and keeping everyone moving in the same
0: direction personally you have the last last say here in terms of like what how do you attribute you know it it doesn't have to be a percentage or anything but just how do you think about the success of the company based on the secret sauce that we've been talking about here versus product market fit
2: well a lot of startups fail um and some of them yeah never reach product market shit but plenty of them kind of get there and can still be crushed under co- competition, um, their own issues that are happening internally. Um, and I think that it's maybe more than 50% of, of our success can, can certainly be attributed to the fact that we are a very functional team. We, we work. Mm-hmm. Um, we work hard. We love what we do. And we are all working towards similar goals these stand-ups that sean talks about the the demo days that the things that keep us in communication it's not about just about what we're doing but why we're doing it and so it becomes very obvious that the team understands what we're all up to um and and why we're doing the things we're doing why their work matters it keeps people fulfilled and it keeps people engaged it keeps people working hard um I work very hard. I work all the time, but I love it. And I think that when you have a team that doesn't feel that way, it's maybe not going to be as successful because you don't have as much skin in the game. You don't have that uh, desire to absolutely win for the team, you know? Uh, And I think that we have done a very good job at building that team that has made this company successful. I don't think we would be nearly as successful with a different team operating it. The same technology just isn't the same in the hands of other people. I, from what I've heard,
0: I would 100% agree. I kind of feel like I've gone through like a Harvard Business School uh, lecture and I wanna send the guys with the clipboards in to follow you, right? right. Eyebrows raised and like, oh, look at that. So <laughs> if, if there's follow-up questions, um, would it be appropriate if I sent out um, with the podcast links to your LinkedIn profiles? Yeah, Is that, okay? that would be great. sure. That would be perfectly fine. Well, thank you very much for coming on and sharing. And uh, this has been more than a delight. It has been incredibly insightful. Usually there's one or two like really good nuggets to take, right? I I, I think there might be a bag of nuggets <laughs> that we're going to take from here. Yeah. So right. thank you very much. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Thank
2: you. Thanks so much, Steve.